Welcome everyone to the Operation Automation Podcast by Omron, where we are talking all things factory automation. My name is Carrie Lee. I'm the product manager for Sysmax Studio, NJNX Controllers, and NXIO. I've been with Omron for about two and a half years and have about 15 years of experience in automation. Sitting here with me is Kenny Heidel. Hi everyone, I'm Kenny Heidel and I'm a national account manager focusing on channel engagement. I've been with Omron for over three years now and have 12 years of combined factory and industrial automation experience. Kenny and I are neighbors at our Omron office and would often have conversations at the coffee machine or in the hallways where we would talk about products, new technologies and trends, and of course, the Chicago White Sox. We hope to recreate that time here in our podcast and share it with listeners so that you can learn along with us. So whether you are pouring yourself the first or fifth coffee of the day, driving to your first appointment, or walking the dog, we hope to help you start your day off right with a little fun, and hopefully you'll learn something new. All right, so we got a pretty exciting episode, but I got to say it's a tough one for a song, Kenny. So what do you got this week? So I feel like the best I got is, Carrie, don't lose my barcode. All right, finally, some Steely Dan, so I'm sure some of our listeners will be excited for that. So today we have um, an illustrious guest, Jason Mack, here to talk to us about traceability. Welcome, Jason. It's nice to meet you, and thanks for uh, bringing me on here. So we're going to start off with our tough question, as we always do in the podcast. Jason, what is your go-to takeout food order? Uh, Go-to takeout food order is sushi. So my wife and I always do sushi Sunday. Uh, and it's one of those things early pandemic when, you know, things started to, uh, possibly close down. We wanted to make sure we supported one of our local spots and that was what we've made as our go-to. Excellent. Excellent. Are you a, are you a spicy sushi person or are you a, uh, a non-spicy sushi person? Oh, definitely spicy across the spicy. board. I mean, you gotta, you gotta really put together that palette of, uh, a dinner, you know, a little bit of spicy, a little bit of sweet. There you go. I like it. I like it. All right, our second hard-hitting question is, if you have to get a lot of work done without interruptions, what's your favorite music to put on to do that? So uh, anything acoustic is my standard, is throw on something and just usually, uh, you know, with lyrics, without lyrics, but, you know, take usually some kind of rock, but turned into like an acoustic, acoustic or, you know, piano only, just so I can not have to think too much and have stuff rolling in my brain. Nice. Do you have a specific band you like acoustically or is it? No, honestly, it's odd. That's the beauty of today's stuff. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in the um, late 90s, early 2000s. So kind of that indie punk rock scene. But take that and have anyone with an acoustic guitar play someone else's music and I'm happy. So are you a fan of Chuck Reagan? He was an old punker, and now he just plays acoustic guitar all the time? I, I did, do not know Chuck Reagan, so that is an exciting thing for me to take away from this podcast. Yeah, he's from Hot Water Music, and then now he does kind of like an Americana um, acoustic thing. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we'll have to call him and get a little uh, kickback for the free promotion. Yeah. <laughs> podcast, for the plug. I think you'd like him. Um, so finally, Jason, what's your favorite hobby? Yeah, uh... In the past, it used to be golf, but over the past five years, I have become a board gamer through and through. Oh. So love, love, love playing board games. You know, tons of different stuff. It's amazing what has come out over the last 20 years. Um, so it's something the wife and I do, groups of people. We've gotten the kids into it. So heavy into board games. So what's your favorite board game to play? 
I, you know, this is a, we could do a whole podcast on that, but uh, <laughs> I'd probably go a couple. So there's a pretty fun game called Splendor. And then I also go just as deep uh, from the nerddom and I, I we play D&D once a week. So. Oh, oh cool. We have some family that have been uh, trying to get my husband and I into games. And right before COVID, we were really into playing. Did you see that game, Pandemic? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I played Pandemic Legacy. It's a great, great. <laughs> yes. It's a, one of those gateway games for coming in. It's a great one. Couldn't buy it, though, over the pandemic, which was rough because I really wanted <laughs> to play it. Yeah, we weren't so much in the mood as soon as the, <laughs> the pandemic hit. It felt a little close to home. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, Jason, if you don't mind, if you could give us kind of a little bit of a background on yourself, your career, uh, how you got to Omron and, and, and what you're doing uh, today as a global account manager. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, went to school for electrical engineering and much like a lot of people didn't know the world of automation at the time. And so, you know, kind of realized that one, the best part about working in this field is hands on. And so started off at a couple different companies, um, worked at Keyence for a little while and then uh, came over to Microscan, who then was acquired by Omron. So have been doing the, the camera side of things um, for a while, but have worked in the laser marking and you know verification and all this kind of world of traceability for about 10 years now. And then moved over into the life science just because from Microscan's uh, viewpoint, we have a lot of customers that use our cameras for uh, looking at patient samples and doing you know, when you go get a test at the doctor's office, uh, there's a almost 100%, it's like a 90% chance that it's going to pass by one of the Omron barcode readers to make sure you get your results. So uh, with the pandemic and everything, it's it's been a really nice reminder from our customers how important traceability has been within that medical space. Because sometimes you forget that the work you're doing does mean something to people. Yeah, especially, you know, you go to the doctor, you get a test, right? You don't think about all the other ancillary things that happens in between, you know, blood draw or whatever that test is and when you actually get a you know a pdf with your results right yep and how many places that you know things could go wrong that that putting real track and trace into it solves it's incredible and some of it is much more archaic uh, than you would assume given other industries um based mm -hmm. on the regulatory parts but you know it's getting there and it's it's incredible how many steps it goes along the way though for sure absolutely well, it's a good segue, right? To starting to talk about traceability because that's, you know, that's why we have you here to kind of impart on our listeners some good good information about where where traceability is in the industry and where where you've seen it come from, but also where it's going. At Omron, we love acronyms. So, we have an acronym for traceability, MVRC. Uh, do you think you could give us like a 50,000 foot kind of definition for our listeners of what what MVRC is to to us and what it is to to a customer? Definitely. And, and as in acronyms, you know, it's, it's four simple words. So we got mark, then verify, read, and communicate. So to kind of break those down individually, you're looking at the whole traceability timeline on this. So, you know, first you have to create a code. It could be, you know, uh, letters and numbers. It could be a barcode. It could be, you know, images, anything you need, something to mark on the product. Mm -hmm. And then you want to make sure that you mark that properly. So that's the verify, and that could be done to specific company standards, external regulatory bodies. And then now that you have that data moving with the product, you're going to want to read that. So every step along the way, using the example of the, you know, getting a test done at a doctor's office, you're going to want to watch that product 
move from the doctor's office to a lab uh, to all the different instruments that it passes back to the doctor's office, back to the patient. And that would be the reading portion. And then along that reading portion, you're also going to need to communicate. So as, as something is read and it is located, uh, you're going to have to put that back into an overall system to track for data purposes later to, again, make sure that, you know, I, it got read along the way, but I want to get my results back for this case. But, you know, mm -hmm. it's the same in every industry. So that's it. Now we have all the nuts and bolts, right? Of, of we talked mm -hmm. about how what what all happens, but that's the that's the four major steps, you know, that that really encompass a traceability solution. Correct. Yeah, and you can't do one without the others. I mean, you can't read something that hasn't been marked, and an individual person or company doesn't have to do all the steps. They may be only working on uh, two or three of the steps, but all of them have to exist in order to have a traceability solution. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. You said uh, not every company has all of them. So how does that look when they kind of tie in so different companies working together to do traceability? Can you give us a little example? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, like uh, if we go to something like a consumer good um, that's, that's easily relatable to a lot of people, uh, the only person that's really marking the code, and let's, let's use a UPC barcode on a board game, for example, you're going to first, when you create that game at the manufacturer's site, you're going to put the barcode on there, and that's going to be the mark stage. They're also probably going to verify it to make sure that that's going to meet GS1 standards. So GS1 are the people that police all of the UPC barcodes that we see in, in grocery stores and hospitals, really everywhere. And they're going to make sure it's a good code. Once they know it's a good code, they're going to use all of the steps. So read it, communicate it within their facility. And then they're going to throw it on a truck. The truck isn't going to mark. They probably aren't going to verify, but they will read and know that it made it on the truck. Maybe they communicate that somewhere. Maybe it just gets stored locally. Uh, but, you know, they're going to work on the second two halves. Then once it goes there, it's going to make it to some kind of distribution house, um, usually for, let's say, let's pick a, you know, something that's readily available, uh, you know, a normal like a Target or a Walmart. And those companies probably will go again and verify it before it goes through because they're going to want to make sure they're getting quality product. And then they will also, again, you know, read and heavily communicate. And then you'll see that all the way down to the final step where a, uh, you know, a store sells it to a consumer. And that's where you're going to get the read and piece. They're not going to be verifying anymore and they're just going to sell you the product and then it's yours. And uh, maybe it gets read again um, to, you know, look up a rule book or remember what you bought. Maybe it doesn't. Um, but, uh, you know, that that mark that you had at the beginning needs to live with that product all the way to the end. And so that's how you get the solution. So um, I really love that example because I think for me personally, whenever I hear traceability, I kind of assume, oh, that's something for the FDA, life science related, or I also think automotive, right, for mm -hmm. recalls and things like that. But it's a good example that, you know, we're we're involved in traceability every day, whether we're playing games or grocery shopping. So one of the things I think would be interesting for you to share with our listeners is kind of how have you seen the traceability needs like evolve at customers? For the industry in general, um, you have to start in the same way that we had our journey of mark, verify, read, communicate, uh, the MVRC. You have to start with marking. So uh, initially there were very specific uses for you know, this kind of traceability. And it may have been tracking a product. But as time's gone on, that the need for the data, and that is everything that we know, the big data that, that everybody's trying to track, 
that's where the real evolution of this has come. So in the previous generations, a big concerted effort was placed on marking everything and defining what we had as far as uh, assets. Where the big change is coming now is we're starting to use that data. So now that we have it, we've collected it, and we have some basis of knowledge, um, we can start using it to make better decisions, you know, maybe do more mitigation versus prevention, um, or prevention versus mitigation, and just be smarter with how we're dealing with our supply chain. And that could be for recalls, like you mentioned, it's a great example of how that's done. It could be for, you know, making sure stuff never makes it out of the building. And we can limit it to uh, a very small error and, and limit what the impact may be. So with a lot of that evolution that you've seen, what's kind of been like the key driver with some of these customers? Has it been regulation? Has it been, uh, you know, product quality recalls, things like that? What have you kind of seen as been a leader to say, you know, we need to get better about not just marking things and maybe doing a quick verification, like bringing the entire traceability solution together? It's really dependent on the industry. So we can kind of break it down from, you know, which industry and how they've been driven. Uh, so if you look at something like the consumer goods that we're talking about, uh, the biggest push recently is, uh, you know, product management, knowing where things are and when, um, and then automation. So, you know, with the, the pushing of how logistics has come about, how Amazon exists, people really don't have time for bad barcodes, bad data anymore. You know, we can't have someone sitting there looking at a product at a grocery store and guessing on a price that doesn't, you know, a person can't do that when they're checking themselves out. Um, so what happens in that industry is, you know, it's really been a push from the, the end sellers of the products all the way back to the manufacturers to be better about their manufacturing. So it's in that sort, it's been kind of an internal industry push. Uh, if you look at something like medical, this has been purely from a regulatory standpoint. So, uh, you know, the errors were noticed in the past of being able to tell, you know, if I had a something implanted in me 10 years ago, I don't really have a good way of knowing what was implanted in me if it wasn't registered to some kind of global database, because maybe that mm -hmm. doctor disappeared, you know, whatever might have happened. Um, maybe they didn't actually know which batch of parts they put in you because they got them at different dates. And so you don't want to go in and surgically pull that out of someone to look at it. Yeah. So it has a different level of, uh, you know, there were regulatory needs to become involved. So that has been a push significantly more from, uh, you know, standards-based um, mm -hmm. needs. And that's the same for uh, military in that case. And then you have more of the electronics and uh, automotive, which is a lot more of an internally driven, uh, you know, the, the end manufacturer of the product. They're the ones driving it because they want to make sure all the things that they get, um, that they can track them back. And that's from that recall standpoint. You know, we want to make mm -hmm. sure if I'm if I'm making a cell phone or a computer that I know all the components that are in there, because, uh, you know, if I start using bad components, I throw away very expensive. You know, you don't want to throw away a car. Uh, you don't want to throw away a laptop because one chip was bad. So you really need to know where every piece came from and what machine made it. Um, so in those industries, they're more being driven by the the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. especially with the volumes too that they're that they're doing right that that becomes even more important to be able to to track those different even even if it's small components because at the volumes that they're producing right even a small you know one hour issue with a machine that's making a, a microchip right that could have just affected thousands of of 
end user products. Absolutely. And when you start to look at it, you know, now that you have the data is, you know, if you had one bad chip going into thousands of products, that's a thousand products. But if you have one bad chip and you don't know when that bad chip was made, that's, that's full recalls. That's, that's, you know, Hey, uh, Hey, United States, everybody can't eat spinach for three weeks. Like everybody (laughs) didn't have a disease. One person at one farm did, but without a way to track that back to that initial place, there's no hope. I mean, you have to, it has to be a full solution and those ones don't, they're not overnight. That's why it's been, you know, uh, an evolution of the traceability and it's not always barcodes. Sometimes it's, you know, tracking people logging into software. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, and then it's also that communicate part of sharing that data between people. Mm-hmm. One of the things I, the more I've, you know, trying to learn, learn more about traceability working here at Omron, but I never noticed it, but we don't really hear those, oh, Toyota had a recall or Ford had a recall. There's not those mass recalls anymore, but you will get a note from, you know, your manufacturer that says, hey, or you'll hear of friends, right? Hey, I got to bring my car in to get something checked. So just from a purely PR standpoint, the technology has been really good, I think, for, for automotives. But I always like that example when I'm talking to people about what I do, even though, um, you know, traceability robots, right. It's, it's not Terminator and we're not tracking your every move. It's actually helping things like recalls. I love your spinach one too. It's a great example. And even on that point, uh, you know, when you look at getting that note or having to broadcast it out, think about that from a traceability standpoint, the reason they're broadcasting it is because they can't target people. And then the next level of that is, now you can be, instead of being proactive and telling everybody about it, the other path, which I think they're doing a lot more of, is just tell the dealerships that when VIN number X comes in, you know, I can just replace that windshield wiper that was bad and that we don't really have to worry about it. Yeah, they're going to see that, you know, all of the people that are fixing cars are going to see these. So now you can approach it from a different method that that everybody feels more comfortable with and doesn't cause any of that, you know, unneeded bad PR. That's such a good point, right? They're always, we just bought a car last year and they're like, oh, we, we have a maintenance program. I didn't even think about that side of that helps them get on top of proactively uh, changing potential bad parts as well. Yep. Very clever. So, you know, when I first heard the term traceability 4.0, I kind of made the assumption from my my background here that it had to do with industry 4.0, right? It was just basically using industry 4.0 technologies with quality. Um, you know, traceability 4.0 is an Omron term, but it's really more than uh, industry 4.0 and traceability 4.0. Can you kind of help our listeners understand what we mean here at Omron when we talk about traceability 4.0? Absolutely. And that's it, this is a lot of kind of the, the pieces we've been talking about, which is 3.0 was starting to do that, that tracking. 4.0 is going to be the part where we're talking about the later parts, the, the, the verify and the communicate, we're really starting to make better decisions off of all of this data we have. And the, the example we talked about there with the, you know, manufacturers of cars and how to do recalls really speaks to what 4.0 is about, where we're trying to take the data and make new decisions about how we process. And it could be, you know, how to reduce scrap. It could be how to, you know, make things uh, less expensive, make our workers safer. There's a lot of things you can do when you're starting to track things that if you know the the real-time data of where a part is at any given time, you can really sh- reshape how you go about a process. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely a new evolution um, and real implementation. You know, I feel like to, to go on what Carrie said, when you look at industry 4.0, a lot of it is, is taking that data and making actionable or taking it and turning it into actionable things that can improve your production process, you know, improve OEE, things like that. So I see traceability kind of following that line, but almost infinitely more important because you have the capability to follow a lot of different things across the entire production facility and really identify and, and hone in if there are challenges or issues going on. Yeah, it really is the enabler for a lot of the other forms of um, Industry 4.0, because without knowing the specifics, data is data. You know, it, it's more about how do we make actionable changes immediately. And that 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 is what the traceability part does. And really looking at it, like we said, from the whole standpoint, uh, with 4.0, you really got to make sure that you're not losing any of the data. And that's where like the verify piece comes in and looking at it as a holistic approach of if we can be perfect from a traceability standpoint, then that opens up entirely new avenues to where we don't have to be reliant on uh, entire systems that were in place before. I mean, we can really be reliant on this data by being accurate. Mm-hmm. So as, as you've seen some customers start to go on the, the MVRC, the Traceability 4.0 journey, um, what technology needs have you, have you heard from those customers? You know, maybe some of them are just starting out and they're just, you know, marking and reading and that's all they're doing. But what, what kind of needs have you heard from customers from a technology standpoint to, to continue to progress into Traceability 4.0? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, given my, uh, you know, um, kind of last five years experience, uh, medical is a perfect one to kind of touch on this point with, because they're using it for all the different reasons that everybody else is. So in the past, you know, you would throw a label on a box and it, uh, it, we didn't really care what printed it because it was okay if it failed. Um, and the people that were in the end using the product, even in hospitals, and this blew me away, um, uh, you know, a lot of hospitals, I, I talked to a head of surgery um, for a hospital in the Boston area. And he talked about um, their go-to person that when they were going and do a knee replacement, they didn't know all the products that were necessarily being used. They just had a person that knew what would go into a knee surgery and they okay. would fill out the materials that were used. And when you start seeing what that means to an industry and be able to clean all that up from a 4.0 perspective, uh, equipment-wise, the people that made the parts uh, you know, really needed to make sure that their parts were being used. So they start to not only uh, get better products for printing, but then making sure that theirs were readable using that um, verification piece by the, the lower cost barcode readers they would have in a hospital. You know, you would have from equipment standpoint, um, Omron makes some really nice high-end cameras, but hospitals aren't going to buy those. They, they just aren't. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, basically putting the emphasis on the quality being at the beginning, as opposed to trying to overcome bad quality later, um, is where that equipment came in. So things like inline inspection um, with machine vision cameras, um, barcode verification uh, equipment to really grade those barcodes um, have become really big in that industry. Because if you, if you have one product that has a bad label, all of a sudden the system breaks down. They can't scan that. They can't do a surgery. Are they supposed to not do the surgery? No. Mm -hmm. So they end up throwing away that product and grabbing another one. And so that really, it you know, when you start seeing that equipment buy um, and you put the emphasis at the beginning and having very good 
marking um, laser markers, you know, actually making something that's permanently there so that that gives just one more level of guarantee that by the time it goes into the surgery that it's still going to be, um, you know, they'll have the product that they need to create that surgery. And then from a manufacturing standpoint from those products, they've gotten very big into what we call edge devices at Omron. So taking something like uh, a, a PLC or a controller that's going to collect a lot of that data mm -hmm. and why we call it an edge device or why it's important within medical is because everything's validated. So everything that is being created to make the parts has gone through a very, very extensive uh, validation process. If anyone asks you like, hey, do you want to come over and help me uh, write up some of this validation stuff? Uh, don't ever take someone up on that. that the amount of work <laughs> they go through on some of this is, is pretty incredible. And so by having the ability to put an edge device on, meaning it sits outside of the actual production equipment and just monitors it, maybe it's a sensor, maybe it's, uh, you know, looking at when a part passes so it knows how long it's been inside that machine, which can tell reliability issues if it was heated for too long or cooled for too long, throw on the actual temperature so we know that it made it to a specific heat level. Um, all of that can, you know, be brought in as data at those customers to make sure, again, that the beginning is perfect. And the more we can do in that manufacturer process, we can put good uh, traceability marks on it to be used then all of a sudden the later part is going to flow much easier and then the hospitals will have an easier time um you know we can use that to clean up uh you know the healthcare situation no one everybody knows the experience of going into a hospital or, or have heard someone and getting a, a giant bill that they then you know kind of just randomly knock things off it's it's because of traceability that that kind of stuff happens because it's hard to track everything that's used in a high you know, highly tense environment. Um, mm -hmm. And so this would allow that part level traceability. Yeah, a lot different, right? Than if you are at the grocery store and you're scanning your uh, bag of pre-made salad or something and it's, it doesn't scan and someone just comes over and keys in a number and it's all good, right? Bigger bigger implications, especially on the, the life sciences and the medical side. It is, and it's it's the same idea. You know, you see the issues when you are at the grocery store, but you're right. The, the stakes are much higher when you get to, you know, whether you're trying to keep a submarine uh, working when it's underwater yeah. <laughs> or when you're trying to, you know, make sure that that pacemaker that's keeping someone's heart beating is, uh, you know, is the one you think it is. There was um, a TV show where they caught a murderer because of the uh, the mark on the titanium screw in the guy's knee. So I always think that. So it also solves crimes. So you're doing everything, Jason. Super <laughs> you got it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So this has been a really fun conversation, and I think you've already given us quite a lot of examples of this. But, you know, here at Omron, our mission is to improve lives and contribute to a better society. You know, traceability is a huge, huge area for examples of these. I just wanted to give you an opportunity to share any other real-world examples that you want to kind of share that we haven't talked about already that are um some of the solutions you've been involved in or know Omron has that's promoting that company mission. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we, we have touched on a little bit, but to elaborate on, you know, what we've been through over the last couple of years with COVID, um, what, what's been big and what's been really nice to see it. And I've heard this from our customers, you know, through letters, um, through them telling us, but the importance of this automation equipment that goes into that, life science uh, field. And as everything started to kick off, there's a couple things that 
that traceability really showed you know where people were doing well and where they weren't and that came down to uh the testing so if we look at how many more tests have had to happen over the last you know uh two years versus what it was before um not just from a you know covid standpoint but you know we're the numbers of tests that are going up is is something like seven seven x over the last like 10 years and uh when you look at actual people graduating into the field it's actually way down and so what what that needed to do from this traceability standpoint is we needed to have machine vision and cameras that could really optimize this process for the people so they're doing the pieces of work that matter and then let the machine do what the machine can do and and like you talked about from the grocery standpoint you know we don't want them we don't want to make that person who uh, is already busy doing something else come over and help you scan a bag in they, they don't need to keep doing that and if you think of it from a high stress situation where we'd have to double output with the same equipment we have um you know one little step outside of that takes so much extra time so that's where the you know um being able to add these cameras and being able to track and trace what's going on there um within the results um when everything ramped up and people had to be more reliant on that automation it was big and and Omron did a very good job um and always does a very good job of you know providing that uh the the focus for those accounts when they needed it when people really needed to you know step up and help the government you know rush out new equipment to make tests new equipment to make testers um mm -hmm. it, it was it was pretty incredible what some of this traceability came out and showed what it could do that's great it's always nice to hear when the company's doing great things like that right it's always yeah, nice and, it, and on a positive definitely and it was i mean you look at how fast all the new companies that came about at that time that were you know the world has become a lot more specialized uh, lots of new labs creating equipment and the you know the stuff we talked about at the beginning of making everything at the start correct so that everyone downstream can use it it's not an easy process you know it, when you look at something like a barcode it seems obvious that it it it's reads it's a bunch of lines there's not a lot to it but you know there's the formatting of the data there's the printing of it and a lot of people had to dive in and learn all of this on the fly as they were trying to also learn how to manufacture masks at a factory <laughs> In, mm -hmm. a, in a highly regulated regulated field so you know having that equipment that can help them do that was imperative to the process that's awesome yeah huge huge benefit to mass production right mass production of anything but especially yep. in in the environment that we were in you know for the last couple of years with covid with with how how much new things that nobody really knew much about also had to be mass produced yeah, and it's a cool world that it can happen that way. I mean, that's the the fact that the world can step up and figure out all this new things in a short amount of time is uh, it's fun to be a part of. Mm -hmm. That point you made, Jason, about getting things done properly upstream to make it easier for downstream. I think about you know we had these free COVID testing locations that you'd go in there, and it definitely wasn't anybody with any sort of medical you know, background running that little station that was in an abandoned uh, store shop, right? <laughs> but they still were able to get us accurate tests and everything because the whole process was done. So you were able to have, I, I know that the one place by my house, that was the same 20-year-old guy sitting there. He had a tip cup out. I'm sure he's not actually <laughs> the guy <laughs> diagnosing the COVID uh even running the COVID tests, but the way that the whole process was automated and you're able to trace it and things like that. It's it's pretty neat 
the way automation can really help with that. And it is, you know, looking at the, it's it's funny, the uh, the parallels just from the, the COVID testing and everything as it's gone, you know, the, the ability to test for COVID was not something that was designed overnight uh, when we, you know, ran into the pandemic. It was something that a lot of work ahead of time did. And that's the same thing with the traceability. You know, that's, there's been a lot of groundwork from the 1.0 to the 4.0 to get us to a point where, you know, some kid could be in a parking lot and you're going to end up with the results on your phone, you know, later that week. Uh, and it, it really parallels nicely with that, that pre-work that's been done over a while to give us results today. Excellent. Well, this has been a lot of fun, Jason. Always enjoy getting a chance to speak with you. And this was uh, a great way to learn more for me personally about uh, traceability. So I want to thank you very much for spending the time with us. You are very, very welcome. Thank you very much, Jason. But since you like games, we should make sure that we play our trivia game. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm always good for it. And the best part about being uh, into games is I'm also a, uh, a good sport if I lose, too. So. <laughs> there you go. There Resilience. you go. All right. So so my, my trivia question for you, Jason, is what was the first product to ever have a barcode? Ooh, okay. First product to ever, ever have a barcode. And I actually... I knew this at one point. I'm going to say, oh, my brain is, is losing it. Um, maybe a hint. Let's, yeah, let's okay, hear the okay. hint because maybe that'll right. guide me down the path. There you go. So the hint is, uh, so Carrie and I don't really like to talk about this company as White Sox fans. It is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I got it right, right after I had the hint. Uh, so just to give a preface preface of um you know my background in in i live in southern california uh in an area in long beach where just after college that um i lived first uh where it was a bunch of houses built up it, you know kind of early tracked home um and it was all for the workers for the local wrigley factory uh and they actually also uh they built it and then they also did a bunch over at one of the islands off the area but um it was funny yeah i totally forgot but i think it was gum by wrigley uh as there the first barcoder product. Cue the applause. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wrigley Chewing Gum in 1974 was the first product to ever have a barcode. So well done. And you didn't even need multiple choice. So for those- Yeah, I, was, those... I should have just given myself another second. It, it finally came <laughs> back around in the head and I had it there, but uh, I appreciate the assist there. No problem. Well, thank you, Jason, again. This has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, we really learned a lot and learned a lot about even- things that we probably didn't even think about of how, how impactful traceability is to, to our customers and to help, help home run contribute to a better society. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for letting me talk about it. it, it uh, it's easy to look at from the outside as a very dry, tough subject to talk about, but when you really get into what it does, it's, it's a pretty fun uh, thought process. I thought it was great. Thanks again, Jason. Thanks. Bye. Thank you everyone for joining Carrie and me for the Operation Automation Podcast. If you have topics you'd like to hear discussed on future episodes, please send them to our email address, omronnow at omron.com with podcast idea in the subject line. Finally, all the cool things you learn on this podcast can be found at automation.omron.com. So until next time, we put the fun in factory automation. <laughs>